32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. And my name is Andrea. And this is United United Ireland. Ireland. Every week, recently, we take a county and dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world it brings us. This week's county is Tipperary. And this week's question, why are car dealerships being raided? Juicy juice today on the pod. We have an amazing uh, crime journalist talking to us about that very question. Um, so uh, I really, yeah, it's 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 going to be great. It's going to be great. Um so uh thanks to all our Patreon pals. We've changed the tiers. Um oh, people are really going wild for the tiers. People are upping their pledges from one amount to another. It must be to get the um the sweet, sweet merch. But also uh people are messaging that I'm in a better uh, financial position, which is very heartwarming that they're turning to us to share that. So thank you. Um that's one of those heartfelt thank yous, not a like empty one. Yeah, you're all rock stars. Thank you very much. Of course, when you do sign up to our patron, uh, patreon.com forward slash United Ireland, you also get the Sunday Soothe. Um, and I believe now more than ever, Andrea, we need some soothing, soothingness in our lives. And uh, it's it's a good bit of Sunday therapy, I feel. It is for us and our listeners, but also... We talked last week on the Sunday Soothe about how it's important to watch what content you consume, but it's equally important to watch what content you put out. And we are cognizant of that. So that is why we are very proud of the Sunday Soothe, that we are um, adding to the conversation of soothingness and not just maybe ranting about shit all the time. And now let's go to the state of the nation. Andre, what's the state of the nation this week? It is level mania. The numbers of cases are out of control. Um, it is getting very worrying if you count the case numbers and the epidemic. Epide- oh my God, I feel like I'm drunk today. Can you take that one? Go on. The epidemic? Ep- no, the epidemiologist. Oh, epidemiologists. Yeah, thank you. Jeez, Louise. Uh, I trust them. They've studied this all their lives. They seem to know when it's getting bad. So I'm going to say that shit is getting bad if they're saying it's getting bad. Um, so it's especially bad at the border county. So the north is go- has the north is enforcing a circuit break, as they've come to be known now, um, which is a high-level lockdown. And then the uh, counties along the border are going into level four. The rest of Ireland is going into level three plus pi minus four, um, which is a take on level three. So it's everything we've been doing before. Dublin still has no indoor. Uh, nobody has indoor stuff, uh, but also there is, we've no wet pubs, but also now there's a household visit ban. So you can't go to anyone's gaff. And People are like, I don't get the logic, but you're allowed to go to like the gym and see your family, but you can't see them in your house. And it kind of is quite simple. Do you wear a mask when you go to your pal's house or to your mom's house or to whoever's house you go to? You don't. Like you literally just don't wear a mask and that's how the virus is spreading. So it, it makes sense. I can understand why people are getting frustrated, but like 
if you if you look at the logic, and I know it doesn't seem logical when you've got skills open and meat processing plants open, but that's out of our control because yeah, the, the government are going with that and they want kids in school. But what is in our control is not going to people's houses. So just do it. Uh, also, this week was the biggest budget ever that nobody really cares about a couple of days after, which is so mental. I think it's going on one of those things where you just don't even really know what to think about the budget. Um, and I definitely think that opposition parties found it hard to pick holes, even though there were like obviously fuck all done for renters as per usual and things like that. But I think um, I actually think Sinn Féin had quite a bad week and they're trying to react to it. Um, but couldn't really get anything to land. Um, two things that we're going to be looking into over the next while uh, that were in the budget was this uh, 50 million euro for live events. Um, I think there's lots of questions to be asked about who's going to get that money, how is it going to be distributed and so on. And then the Chris, which I uh, heard Arthonsh the Leo Rocker call it, the Chris, which is the CRSS, which is this like pup for business, basically, like how that's going to work. Is it just going to be for bricks and mortar places to be allowed them to essentially pay their rent to their landlord as when they're closed? Um, uh, or will people who are out of work, who don't have leases, who don't have buildings, who don't have a public facing business be able to benefit from that? Doesn't look like it. Uh, so we're going to look at those two big things because I think the CRSS is going to estimate it to cost 40 million quid a week, which uh, is a lot and uh, puts the other um, uh, prezies in the um, budget um, in perspective, including the €250 for students, which costs 50 million quid to give every third level. That was your car dealership. (laughs) We'll get to later. We'll get to that. What else is going on, Andrea? Um, There is a lot of conversations around the Mother and Baby Homes Archive uh, to be sealed for 30 years. um, And who that serves and there's a lot of opposition to that happening and how we live in a society that is we don't want to have secrets we want we don't want to have um things brushed under the carpet and not dealt with and uh, i suppose the conversation is the victim people aren't finding out where people are buried or where they've gone to or their history or their family or their relatives or any of that stuff um, and who is it actually serving to close these records. Indeed and Maeve O'Rourke has been um, doing some excellent Twitter threads about that if you want to check out her work of course friend of the pod Maeve. Hello Maeve. Also Ryanair are closing Cork and Shannon bases for winter and um, there's not that many people flying anywhere at the moment. Um, and who else is um, postponing things this week? I don't know. Am I? No. Yeah. It's your next news item, Andrea. Oh. <laughs> oh. Who else? Oh my God, it's Seamus Wolf. <laughs> uh, I thought it was a, like a little like, and um, what else? No, Seamus Wolf has postponed his meeting with the Chief Justice again. Now, it happened the day after the reenactment of his conversation on Claire Byrne Live um, in a very dramatised fashion. Um, that wasn't that was the same programme where they uh, did a, a how to put on a warm coat, which was, um, yeah, yeah, 
like it continues. I uh, can't wait for next Monday. Um, but yes, Seamus Wolf has postponed his meeting with the Chief Justice again, which is just making it more scarlet for him, to be honest. And like, I don't know. I, I, I wonder what the re- because he somebody did go to the meeting on his behalf with a, an excuse and the chief justice accepted it so i just want to know what that excuse is mm. but for now it's time to up sticks and head off to beautiful tipperary Now, I must confess, I don't actually know that much about Tipperary. Well, Una, isn't it lucky that we have some snazzy county facts? Here we go. We've got a population of 159,553. That's quite a lot. Mm. Um, The main draw seems to be, seems to be, We've all heard of the Rocket Castle. Um, this is a beautiful building uh, from the ye old time, built on a big hill, um, which is it's quite it's a panoramic view. It's beautiful. Um, Munster's kings were crowned here, um, including the famous Brian Boru, um, and he seems to be a really sound guy. He was really into like manu like transcribing manuscripts into poetry, into education, sending people away, bringing people in, really into art and culture. And but unfortunately, and also he like was in pitched battles with Vikings twenty five times, and he was victorious in all of them. Mm. That's like fair play, Jim. Um, there's raping and pillaging Vikings. You really um, don't like Vikings. You give I them know. a lot of shit on this podcast. <laughs> They are scabby. Um, but he unfortunately was killed by a Dane while in his tent praying, which is quite poetic in a really like sad way. Um, there is a pub in Fetherd, uh, which doubles as an undertaker, is called McCarthy's Pub. And their line, and it's quite famous in, from all the research I was doing that this pub, they, their line is, we wine you, we dine you, and then we bury you. <laughs> Sound. Um, well, yeah, and Andrew Lloyd Webber lives nearby it. And I did it was, not. Andrew Lloyd Webber lives in Tipperary. And it was here that he and Ben Elton wrote The Beautiful Game. Maybe I should have fact-checked that because it does feel a bit mental, but yeah. Um, but also McCarthy's Pub was also used by Michael Collins as a neutral spot to meet with officers. Mm. So political and cultural. Um Coolmore Stud is the most successful thoroughbred stud in the world. That's oh, wow. just by McCarthy's Pub. And uh, a lot of the conversations in McCarthy's Pub would tend to be around dairy and horses. Um, would they the now? Would they? <laughs> yeah. Well, I found out, yeah. Uh, the Tudors was filmed in Cahir Castle, mm. which is um, a, a castle, beautiful. Um, Loch Derg is in Tipperary and they have a beautiful walk now that I'm mad into nature and hiking and shit. I was very enthusiastic to see that you start in Limerick and end up in Tipperary and pass a lot of beautiful uh, lakes and uh, past glacier um, valleys and it looks very beautiful. Um, And also the Galtees is Ireland's highest inland mountain range so also brilliant for a little trek should you require a little 
uh, run around. Um, Mitchellstown Cave. Now, don't get confused because it's actually not in Cork in Mitchellstown. It's on the border. And you can go into this cave and it's the image of being in Indiana Jones from the photographs I've seen. But there's a lot of stalactites and stalagmites. Now, what's the stalactite? That's the one that comes from the roof because it holds on tight. And the stalagmite comes from the ground because it might join the stalactite. Aha, geography lessons. Well, you see, the the thing about that little saying is that I find it quite useless because it could easily be switched around. So I would easily go a stalactite clings tight to the floor. A stalagmite might reach the floor. But it's yeah, the other way around. Wrong, so. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of Mitchellstown Cave, I once went to a really amazing gig uh, in the caves. Stop it. Yeah, Stop it was um, uh, O'Reilly, the the violinist who's in the gloaming, and um, I think James Vince McMorrow as well. Uh, yeah, because yeah. it's beautiful chamber and the acoustics are are amazing. Yeah, I remember it well. It was the day Amy Winehouse died. Oh. Yeah. What a poetic place to be for that to hit. Um, Brew Borough, um, which is right at the foot of the Rock Cashel. So loads of shit goes on around the Rock Cashel. So Brew Borough is one of them. And it's uh, an affiliate of Covaltus Kiltorieran. Excellent. Thank you. Which is an Irish cultural movement, which has over 400 branches worldwide. Um, and it has this especially interesting thing of the Sounds of History exhibition, which you go on this magical journey through our culture and history, um, including all the musical instruments that span from the past and also all our history of traditional music, song and dance and its importance in Irish culture today. So basically the clubbing of the past has its own exhibition. So I can't wait for the clubbing of today to be like, and this is where the pod was. And this is how, what they used to wear in powder bubble. Um, that will be fab. We kind of have that in Emma. Um, anyway, I digress. Uh, apparently, this is a juicy one. The original hops that were used to make Guinness came apparently from the garden in Mikey Ryan's, which is a pub. But there's another story as well that it wasn't from there. It was actually um, in ne- in the palace next door to Mikey Ryan's. Um, the yard man in the palace was a fellow by the name of Richard Guinness. And he worked for Archbishop Price, who lived there. And your, the Archbishop thought he was this cool little brewer um, and did some beers in the cellar. And he had hops at the back. And then one day, Guinness was messing around and he made a mess of it. And he roasted the hops instead of the barley and they got a dark beer. Mm. And that is where Guinness apparently was formed. And then they took a painting out on it and Price called it Guinness, as it's known today, in your man's honour. And then he had a son called Arthur and he took Elise out in James' gate. I did not know any of that. That is fascinating. Um, now, again, I didn't fact check that either. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a juicy story. This is where um, our partnership with the journal comes in, as they fact check Andrea's facts. Um, I hope no one from Guinness is listening. If that's not true, I, it must be true. Like, um, Cashel Folk Village has this. Look, it's also at the uh, Cashel Rock thing, Rock of Cashel. Uh, they have a garden of remembrance, and they also have a caravan that has sixteen people, and they call it the Tinker's uh, Caravan, and. There's a little thing that's like, while most people might think Tinker is a derogatory 
an offensive term. It depends on its usage because historically um, that term used in its proper context referred to the fact that uh, they were originally gifted tinsmiths, hence the term tinker. And the uh, caravan is one of those really beautiful old ones. Don't you know the roundy ones that the cart and they fit 16 people. 16 people used to live in them. Like it's really, I I actually really want to go and see that. It looks fab. Um, Then Jim of the Mill in Upper Church is a pub that only opens one night a week. And they only have one tap of Guinness. And every Thursday of the one day they open, they have this big, huge trad session. And people travel from all around the world, all around Ireland. The three daughters are all like musicians. So their friends come up and they do a, a mad trad session. Into it. Yeah, it's not so mad. Uh, Bulmers produced in Clonmel. Um, so Bulmers and Guinness started in Tipperary. Mad. Um, a big fact that we all love. Limerick Junction is in Tipperary. Yield Limerick Junction where most trains go through with our amazing rail system that you have to go through Tipperary to get to anywhere else in the country. Makes total sense. Um, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are currently in Cahir shooting Ridley Scott's The Last Jewel. So Matt Damon is back and Ben Affleck is on his arm with them. So Hollywood stars are plenty. And finally, Clock Jordan House is in Tipperary, which is where I was meant to have my fortune. It's a sad end to the facts today. (laughs) Thank you for those excellent facts. Okay, so um, this week's question is, why are car dealerships being raided in Tipperary? So last month, the car dealership was raided in Tipperary and 85 cars, including Range Rovers and BMWs and trucks, were seized by cab as part of a money laundering investigation. Increasingly, car dealerships and seizures uh, from them are popping up in the news, kind of being hotspots for money laundering. Uh, Some of these operations are kind of standalone laundering scams, I suppose. Uh, Others operate as a mechanism to launder money for criminal gangs, uh, particularly involved in drug dealing. So what is it about car dealerships and money laundering in Ireland? Joining us to talk about this is Nicola Talent, the investigations editor of the Sunday World and the current reigning crime journalist of the year. The third time, I believe, uh, that you've held that title. Her reporting and investigating specialises in organised crime. Her latest book, The Witness, about the extraordinary story of Joey the Lips O'Callaghan, who is the youngest uh, person ever to be signed up to the Witness Protection Programme when he was just 18, is also well worth picking up. Nicola, thanks a million for joining us. How are you doing? Really well. So first of all, what was the situation with that recent cab seizure in Tipperary? Well, this is classic. I mean, I suppose what you have to understand first is that cars being high-end SUVs and luxury vehicles are the currency of crime. So basically what happened in Tipperary recently was uh, it was a West Midlands police investigation. So they investigated the crime end and they discovered that there was a money laundering operation running that criminal gangs could use any types because money laundering is a key part of of crime basically it's they have to wash the money and get it into the legitimate economy and there are organizations operating to simply do that to offer criminal gangs a way of 
washing their money and this was one of them and they were importing cars into Ireland and selling them on four courts or offering finance it kind of gets complex there but ultimately um, you know cars and all sorts of financing around that have become more and more the currency of crime um, the the joint policing that you saw there that the West Midlands uh, police investigated the criminality and they handed basically the, the the loot to us because we were able to go in and, and take and seize the, the, the proceeds of the crime without the hassle of investigating it. That's the beauty of a lot of this modern policing, which is all about crossing borders and targeting international gangs. Nicola, this isn't the first time CAB has come down hard in the county, is it? So I actually did a piece last year, um, an investigation piece on the actually on the car industry the second hand car industry because it had it had come up so many times in stories I was doing in relation to very serious criminals and cab seizures etc and at the time so that would have been it's actually less than a year ago at that point there had been 150 garages around the country um, identified as having links to criminals um, many of those criminals were either running sales offices or they were behind a front, which in other words, there was no forecourt, there was really nothing for sale, but the company existed nonetheless. Um, 90 of those those identified garages at the time were in West Dublin alone and um, the Criminal Assets Bureau were, were investigating more. So there is an unprecedented amount of, of gangland criminals involved in the motor trade. Um, and I think Gardaí and the government have both recognised that it's a, it's a major problem. Um, it's one of the businesses in the country that is facilitating this. Not that the business is facilitating it, but that criminals are drawn to the business. You see a lot of money being laundered through beauticians, barbers, um, bars, pubs would be traditional areas as well. But, but in recent years, the motor industry has kind of superseded all of those. Like, that sounds like an awful large amount of car dealerships. I mean, we're 80 or 90 in West Dublin alone. Like, are, I wouldn't have even thought there were even that number of people of, of, of four courts or car dealerships in that area. Does that mean basically there's the majority of car dealerships around the place that actually have an issue with this? Well, look, you see, some of them do have four courts. I mean, one of the biggest ones identified in the country was last year in Limerick and then onwards into Tipperary again, there was follow-up searches. And that was a massive four-court operation. That's before the courts now at the moment. In the High Court, uh, civil proceedings being taken against a number of individuals. Um, and in that case, there was 1.8 million euro worth of cars seized. I think um, in, the, in the case we started off the chat about, there was over 2 million euros worth of, of cars taken. But so some of them have four courts and some of them you can physically pull up to and, and see cars for sale. Others are sort of these ghosting businesses and that they're, they might be registered to a place. And when you actually go and physically look, there's either nothing for sale or there might be some sort of a bit of a garage there. And clearly it's not a functioning business. So it's a bit of both. So I suppose you're right in that that's a huge amount in West Dublin. Um, it is a huge amount in West Dublin, but not all of them would be would be the, the garages you see. And I think for people looking to buy 
second hand cars and probably looking to avoid the uh, aiding and abetting the laundering of criminal funds, the, the way to go and the advice would be to go to a car dealer that you may know that has been in your area for a long time or that you're you're kind of happy with that they're legitimate and you mightn't be getting the bargain that you're getting on the website of some unknown car company but there's probably a reason for that um usually if something is cheap it's cheap for a reason and that might be that uh, it's either a, a a car that has been stolen or it's been illegally imported. With the rise of like uh, car sales online, how can you make sure that what you're buying is clean even online? Because I suppose most people don't really go to forecourts or whatever anymore. A lot of it is done online. Is that impacted by it at all? Well, I mean, look, in the same way as going to a forecourt, like when, when we look at the amount of, of garages there that are involved in, in, in sort of in criminality or there's criminals involved with them, I suppose in the same way you need to buy online from registered dealers, from, you know, legitimate firms and try and avoid the unknown um, dealerships that have popped up and are offering the bargain. Um, sometimes you can't avoid it. And I suppose mo- this is really more a problem for government and guardy than individuals because this is a this is a a, um, a business and industry that has been suffocated by criminality a lot of legitimate car dealerships will tell you that they just can't compete if you look around sometimes you might see a new forecourt opening they could have literally a million quids worth of euros worth of uh, of vehicles on the forecourt. Like that isn't really the norm. If you're setting up a business, you know, you'll have a certain amount, a small business will have a certain amount of, of assets on their premises. And after that, after that, they'll buy them in on request. So, you know, you use your common sense, but this is more a, an issue for, for government and for the guards, uh, for the Criminal Assets Bureau and for others to try and reach out, I suppose, and help the car industry to, 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 to close off whatever it is that is making it, 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 um, it easy for, for these, these dealers. I mean, the, the other fact, of course, is that criminals love cars. They love their bling. They love to spend their money. They love being around cars, fast cars, expensive cars. That's what it's all about. And, um, you know, it's an industry they're drawn to on many levels. What are the other trends with regards to money laundering in Ireland? Because they do change with the times. I know that Brian Thomas and Arnott's recently introduced staff training regarding money laundering. Um, like an anecdotally, you know, as you were saying, kind of you hear about different bars or restaurants or things like that. Like what's going on in, in the landscape of that in Ireland at the moment? Well, I, I saw that myself about Brown Thomas and, and, and Arnott's going to train the staff, which is a, a good idea because actually their products, which are very high end, a lot of them, and which most people either can't afford or buy on a treat, are, are really the stock and trade of what the Criminal Assets Bureau are finding week in, week out in houses of suspected drug dealers and their partners. Because the fact of the matter is, in this country, they, they make a lot of money dealing drugs. Um, it's not a great idea to spend it on property or a fixed asset like that that can be seized from you because of the uh, existence of our Criminal Assets Bureau, which was brought in in 96 following the murder of Veronica Guerin. Um, 
and it's 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 very robust legislation that uh, that the, the bureau runs under. So they want to spend their money, and what we're finding more and more is that they might even still own a council house, a drug dealer, and rather than purchase it and and risk losing it, they're building these massive extensions on the back with jacuzzis and you know pool rooms and man caves and playgrounds on the roof, etc. And they'll pump their money into the extension in a kind of behind-the-hall-door scenario. Even if they own the house, it might be a regular kind of a home. Take, for example, Liam Burns' home, which he forfeited to the Criminal Assets Bureau um, in a very significant case. And that house in, in Crumlin would probably be worth, you know, 300000 or 250000 in around that. Um but actually, the extension on the back of it is estimated to have cost 750000 Now, those maths don't really add up if you were an investor trying to improve your home. You might move, but um, they just keep building and they, they keep blinging it up. They like to spend their money on watches. That's uh, Having a very heavy Rolex is always a sign of your success. So the likes of these can be 30000 plus uh, handbags, designer shoes all the rest of it and you know in a lot of cases they're going in and spending cash in 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 uh, department stores like brown thomas where you could quite easily drop 20 or 30 thousand if you had it um so what i think what they're doing there is they're just trying to train their staff to be alert to somebody coming in with a big bundle of cash like that and buying goods because that is an absolute sign of money laundering. Not saying that everybody who carries cash, but these days less and less were, were being advised to do so. So, um, But look, it's, it's, it's drug money and um, it's, it's kind of keeping the whole roller coaster of organised crime going. If they've nowhere to spend or if they're being stopped at every which turn, um, it helps. The war on drugs, as everybody knows, is never going to be won. We're currently just trying to keep a finger in the dam to stop it becoming too much. So every little thing we can do. I mean, I think also the likes of travel agents and, and, and the tourism industry should probably similar be, although they don't want at the moment, they're struggling to such an extent. I'm sure they don't want to hear this, but a lot of a lot of money is spent on that um, as well. And as I said, it's drug money. And we have to do all we can to try and make it more and more uncomfortable for people to spend that and enjoy that in this country. There's recently been a campaign regarding money meals, which is something that is mostly a trend involving 18 to 24 year olds. And there was 12 million identified transactions going through Irish accounts this year. And obviously it must be much more than that. Um, But is this something that is increasing in order to launder maybe smaller amounts of money? Well, actually, this is um, could be something to do with a problem that's there at the moment, and it's been caused by COVID, plus by um, you know a situation which happened there in the UK when there was thirty nine migrants found in the back of a refrigerated lorry, and they were discovered to have died a horrific death on their way to the UK. Now, that investigation has spurred a very large investigation and crackdown on hauliers who are transporting drugs, cigarettes, cash and humans. They're all commodities to them. But nonetheless, they're all all those commodities are coming and moving in the same 
by the same transporters. Um, and they found here that because of that problem with the transport and haulage system, that there's a problem moving money. So you could see a lot more of that smaller amounts of money being transferred through accounts. I mean, you can do... We've quite a tight system here in that um, transactions under 5,000 can be made without being questioned or alerted to. But anything over that, you are questioned about what you're doing and what you need the money for. And obviously, if you do a few over the 5,000, you'll come up, uh, a flag will be raised about your activities. But like human drug mules who carry cocaine pellets in their stomachs, it is another way of, you know, of moving money around. And that's just using their accounts rather than their, their physical being. What's been the impact um, on organised crime of the, the, like, what impact has the pandemic ha- had, have you seen? Still difficult enough to tell. Um would have imagined from the very beginning that the cocaine uh, demand for cocaine was going to reduce significantly because of the closure of nightclubs and pubs and sort of the uh, the shutdown of partying, uh, albeit uh, you know the, the 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 one that isn't happening in people's houses and and uh, raves in 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 various playgrounds. But um, yeah, that that was expected. Having said that, there was an enormous amount of cocaine dropped into Europe just before it, um, which looked as if they were trying to move their product out of Colombia and into Europe uh, to sort of get there, get it here before there was any sort of a transport crackdown. Um, Transport and freight and all that has, by and large, there's been an effort to keep that moving and flowing. So that has helped them get the drug around. Um, And again, I'm particularly talking about cocaine. Heroin's different. It's 24-7. It's a drug people are addicted to. They take it because they get sick if they don't. Cocaine is recreational. So it's it's different. You would have imagined a, a drop in that market, but it appears there hasn't been. Now, it'll just take a few years to work out whether that's because of the mass production in, in Colombia, which has been caused by all, for all sorts of political reasons there. Um, but nonetheless, they're, they're, they're pushing more out. We seem to be taking more cocaine all the time. I mean, there was a belief we Europe had reached saturation point some time ago and dealers were going to have to look to other markets. But it just still seems to be growing. So that doesn't seem to have been touched, but yet it takes a few years really for the knock-on effects and for those figures to come in properly. Certainly transport is difficult. Cover is gone. The airports are quieter. You know, you have mules moving through very quiet airports where everybody has a reason to be flying. Um, Even take it back to the streets of Dublin and you'll see in certain areas where polydrug users will go to buy off street dealers. They are usually hidden in the crowds. And while if you look, you can see it going on, you know, you could also walk past without realising. Now it's just so visible because there's not so many people in town, there's not so many people walking by. So they've been, you know, again, those kind of things take a little while to work out whether they've had an effect or not. Uh, By and large, Crime, by its nature, is um, very good at getting over stumbling blocks. Smugglers always have to work outside the law and, you know, find a plan B very quickly when plan A doesn't work. So 
you know, they're they're better than us, maybe at at changing and and moving moving their ways of doing things. Um, before you go, uh, uh, this um, passport fraud charge that Christy Kinahan has um, in Spain, what's the crack with that? And it seems like a very paltry charge. Um, um, and what, what's, why was that charge brought and what's going to happen with it? In short, very little. And yes, it is an extremely paltry uh, charge. So Operation Shovel happened in 2010 and it was probably uh, the introduction to most people into who were the Kinahan gang. And, you know, they had been established out in Spain at that point for nearly a decade and had got very big. Shovel was a Europe-wide uh group project against the Kinahans. The Irish police were involved, the English, the Dutch, the Belgians, and the Spanish went to the fore with it. And they were the ones, because their headquarters were in Spain, they were the ones who really went in and uh, and ra- did the main, the main raids and the arrests. It's been an absolute disaster for a lot of reasons. The Spanish legal system is extremely slow and grinding. Um, police investigate and hand their investigation to a magistrate who then investigates again every page, every detail. Um, there is a suggestion, and I have written about it, that my belief is that the Kinahan cartel in Spain had police on their books and they may have been much more savvy that something was coming than, than was believed at the time. Um, the international cooperation had you know, has its problems in itself. I think it's better now. But essentially, Shovel, while it was billed as the end of the Irish Mafia and the the come down of the Kinnahans, it was exactly the opposite. For me, anyway, looking at it and, and, and writing about it for so long, it seemed as if because it failed and, and it was quite obvious early days that it was failing, it gave them an extra confidence, an extra boost and allowed them become a monster basically down there in in Spain and then onwards to Dubai and there was an even bigger problem to tackle because it failed the fake passport charge look it started out as a as a as an investigation into the running of an international uh, organized crime network into drug dealing weapons trafficking money laundering absolutely everything and it has been reduced to this charge against Kinahan of using a fake passport once it's better than nothing maybe but it's unlikely he'll even come back to Spain because he's already served a bit of time before he got his bail originally in 2010 so he'd have the money to, to, to pay the lawyers to make sure he doesn't have to go back to face that. Um, but everybody knew Shovel wasn't going to come to anything and the Kinnahans have way bigger problems than that now. There is a totally separate uh, investigation that has been ongoing for the last five years, which is coming to its uh, its final phase now against them. And I would be confident that it will actually uh, see them out. Before you go, tell us a bit about The Witness. Okay, Um, The Witness is a book that I uh, have been writing for a long time. It's about a a young guy who was groomed into a drug gang when he was just 12 years of age. He was taken on on a little job, a little weekend job on a milk round. And unfortunately, the guy running the milk round, Brian Kenny, was also running a, um, a drug round. He was delivering heroin and cocaine along with the milk 
and uh, he groomed Joey into his into his gang and then into his world and uh, over a number of years he trained him in gangland and he ended up actually living on his his compound in North County Dublin uh, where he worked as a, a drug mule a seller you name it and um, eventually Kenny had ambitions to take over a particular patch of drug turf and to do so he got involved in the murder of a young man called Jonathan O'Reilly um, after he committed that murder he came back and tried to ask Joey to uh, dump the gun and get rid of other evidence and Joey at the time was 18 it was a step too far for him so he went to the police and he did the committed the ultimate sin in gangland so he 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 told them the truth and he went state witness and the book the story is all about his life all about being groomed into gangland living in that world his, uh, you know, his, his signing on to the witness protection program and what happened to him afterwards. So it's a, it's a, it's an interesting insight into a world that we're usually hearing about third hand from people like me. This is an actual ringside seat um, in what it's like to have been mixing in that world and how scary it is, really. Definitely one to pick up. Um, thanks so much for all of your expertise there, Nicola. Always, always a pleasure and keep up the great work. And I'm sure we'll be on to you soon uh, with regards to that, that wider Kinnan investigation. So thanks a million. Thank you very much. What's getting in the sea this week, Andrea? Oh gosh, here we go. This week's getting in the sea is... Fatima and her cyber first ad um, and the drama that ensued around that. Um, this is an ad that had a ballet dancer tying her shoes, Fatima, and it was an ad for cyber first. It was like, she, Fatima doesn't know, is going to retrain to work in cyber. She just doesn't know it yet. And it just landed. Now, it's out a while pre-COVID and it's part of a bigger series but the fact and this I is a Brit, Brit, an English ad or a British ad, isn't it? Yeah, UK. Her Majesty's government are in, uh, have funded it. But I just think it was the visualization of so much shit that is going on in culture and arts that people are being asked to retrain. There's been quizzes launched to like see what you could retrain as um, if you're in the creative industries to get something that is more solid, um, and. It just is so depressing to have that um, messaging coming through and it like because of COVID and I like obviously there's an economic impact, but asking someone to retrain from something like with the example of the ballerina who's trained for 10 years or more to get to this point to then go and like sit hunched over a computer, which is like whatever, hacking cyber, um, it's just so depressing. And there's loads of arguments that it was part of a bigger thing and blah, blah, blah. But that's even more depressing because that means that this messaging is not just because of COVID. This has been filtering out in government messaging before all that, that their lack of importance placed on the creative industries and the lack of support in that get a job in cyber rather than be a ballerina. I think that's even more depressing. So I think all this messaging of retraining and all that shenanigan is absolutely in bits and that we should be supporting our creative industries because like anyone who supports the narrative of like, well, they should get a proper job, should not be watching Netflix, reading a book, going to the theatre, going to an art gallery, 
listening to podcasts, uh, looking at art, doing like going to a dance music event, any of this shit. It's like now is the time when these people need us most and they're what's getting us through this time. So it's a thing we talk about a lot on the podcast, but creative industries do not, should not need to retrain to get through this. Did you know, Andrea, that I was a childhood ballerina? Oh, of course you were. <laughs> I did ballet for about eight or nine years. Were you good? Uh, no, I was really, really bad, actually. Anyway, uh, so that's getting in the sea. But now um, it's bananas. We really need a theme tune for that. Andrew? It's Bananas. I really feel like this is cutting through as I got a beautiful It's Bananas Dolce brooch for my birthday this week, which is so lovely. So yeah, the It's Bananas feature is really hitting home. There's two things that are getting, that are actually bananas and I just can't comprehend them. And we've done episodes about this and we like, I've nothing more really to add about it apart from it's still bananas. But the fact that co-living places are still going ahead they're not built yet, but they're still go- about to be built in this pandemic, in this time. And it just is like, how the fuck are we still building co-living in, in this day and age? And that's all I really have to say about it. I have nothing more. Um, apart from, it was highlighted, if you live in co-living, Davina Divine, shout out to you. If you live in co-living, can you have people back for a session? Oh, that's an interesting question. Or a dinner party. So it's being billed as like young people, like they may not want to cook because they get takeout. Young people definitely want to party. How do you have a party in a co-living place? In your bedside room. So actually, they're even more depressing than I originally thought. Um, but also on that as a kind of side note, Johnny Ronan has applied to repurpose his plans for a hotel because obviously we don't have um, many tourists. Um, and that was not back. It was like, no, you build that hotel because it was going to bring some liveliness to the area. It's like, guys, even the developer doesn't fucking want to build a hotel. We you fucking cop on. Oh, I just, I feel like, I just am getting really that head bashing against a wall about this whole co-living. Yeah, we need to ban co-living um, developments being built. And also with regards to like Johnny Roan and freaking out about the hotel that he's building on Tara Street, like that development is going to be hotel and offices. Two of the things that we do not need right now. It's going to be the tallest building in Dublin, I believe. And you kind of just think, what is the point of these things being built? Like, who are they serving? The developer doesn't want a part of it now or wants to rejig it. And like, why are we building this stuff? It's not going to be any good to anyone. It's very frustrating. It's, oh my God, it's, it's absolutely bananas. Isn't it? It's bananas. It is bananas. It's absolutely bananas. Um, but also another bananas. And I feel like I'm getting a little bit obsessed with them and I don't want to. So I, need, I wish he'd stop doing stuff like bananas things but like Liev Racker tweeted at the start of the week he's like multinationals played a crucial role in lifting Ireland out of the last recession and they will again as we rebuild our economy after COVID what does Sinn Féin want to do? Tax them? It was like well yeah, yeah. What, like how does your mind work if you think that's a zinger like oh my god they want to tax them 
well, are you reading the room of Ireland? Like literally everyone's like, yeah, like, I don't think there was anyone like it, it, I saw loads of journalists who are definitely not Sinn Féin supporters being like, is he messing? Like, I'm no shinner, but like, yeah, read the room, Leo. And then Pierce Doherty had like the clap back. He's like, Leo, this is you're embarrassing yourself. <laughs> like, come on. Um, and he was said that this is a key recommendation of the expert review of corporation tax commissioned by Minister Noonan and carried out by the former chair of the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council, Seamus Coffey. So it's like it's even back to your own your own team who are recommending this. Where are you going with this? And there seems to be an online narrative of like um, <laughs> one, one tweet I thought that summed it all up was like, find yourself somebody who loves you as much as Leah Bragger loves talking about you. That's where we're at with that one. So that's also bananas. Like, yeah, tax them. Yeah, that's not a thing. But anyway, Una, what are your fave bits? So my fave bits this week are... Uh, so, I okay, so on Wednesday night, I watched that press conference with um, Neil Martin and Leo Varadkar. And then, like, I think Eamon Ryan said, like, one random thing being like yeah this is what's happening it's like cool <laughs> nice one Eamon uh, but um afterwards I was like do you know what I I'm actually getting to my limit with regards to the pandemic discourse and every conversation being about it and like I will do all the things as I have been doing, as most people have been doing, like literally having no close contacts apart from my girlfriend who I live with, like not going to people's houses, not do like just not like doing all of the stuff we're meant to be doing. So I'm going to obviously keep doing that, but I just cannot continue to engage with the whiplash discourse on it. So um, I decided to start watching the new season of Great British Bake Off, which I used to love, but then obviously boycotted it when Mel and Sue left um, and when it went to Channel 4 and when Mary Berry went. You huh? stick it to them. I'd say they're raging now. <laughs> it's my That's one person. I stood outside, stood outside the tent wearing a sandwich board, like one of those people outside the door being like with really small writing with all of my reasons for not watching it anymore. Anyway, obviously... I've completely rolled back on that principle and uh, started watching it, uh, the new season uh, last night. And it's just so brilliant because they just take the randomest shit so seriously and watching half of they're doing like cake busts, like cakes of people's faces and watching like half of Freddie Mercury's cake jaw drop off and having his head wedged on, um, must be said, a very fetching uh, fondant yellow jacket um, made me realise that, you know, a bit of escapism and completely ignoring uh, reality is quite useful. So It is, but I also think there's a philosophical lesson within Bake Off. It's that what your surroundings and your headspace are what you make them and if you decide that uh his jacket falling off is a crisis it becomes a crisis mm. and you, like there it's it's your concept it's your perception a lot of the time of what is 
What is crisis? Anyway. Cake Zen. Is this your new Cake Zen uh, vibe? Anyway, but um, my other fave bit is a repeat fave bit. Yes, I'm going to be that annoying person and talk about sea swimming. On Thursday morning, I went for a swim in the torrential rain in Seapoint in Dublin. It was absolutely freezing, quite traumatic and intense. Um, All of my clothes got wet also while I was in the sea. And obviously I wasn't wearing my clothes, um, but it was raining loads. And um, but then I just felt amazing. Like, you know, I hope our listeners hear that and maybe think about going swimming themselves because not one person has done that this year. Stop. At least, I mean, I know, but I think, yeah, I know. I'm just being basic and annoying, but I... I There's nothing wrong with being basic. It is a love... Sea swimming is phenomenal. Yes. And I just feel like the cold water therapy aspect of it genuinely does make me... Puts me in a different emotional state, which is very useful when we are dealing with the monotony of the same pace and the repetition that we're going through in pandemic times when we don't have the releases that we need to have. So anyway, my other fave bit is remembering that there are actually restaurants and cafes open for outdoor dining. I can become very insular and hibernate and just be like, well, I suppose I'll just stay in my house forever then. That's my life. Goodbye. Um, And you do have to kind of, as we had a very nice... uh, physically distant mm-hmm. lunch the other day together just reminding myself of no actually you can go out and do stuff and you and you don't just have to be sitting on your couch you know reading exciting times um staring into space which is I, what I'm I, generally I, do as well and my other fave bit is a lovely light in October lovely autumnal light stop talking about winter we're in October let's enjoy that sound vibes yeah I also love the fact that well I don't love the fact that restaurants or cafes are outside because it's really annoying but it really does feel like the city is alive and I love walking through town with people everywhere and the Hubble Hubble bubble getting into Halloween vibes there I'm <laughs> in trouble um but it is nice to have that energy outside and I would love if we could make it permanent and made it workable that we did have so much more outside activity and we weren't all just hiding in dark pubs and which is lovely as well but that uh we could be sitting outside having lunch like outside the baby they've got it nailed that kind of has always been to the fore of sitting outside drinking wine in fairness what are your fave bits andrea Okay, so my first five bit is is also a new thing that probably no one else has uh, embraced over lockdown. It's actually nature. <laughs> yeah, nature in general. That's it. That's it. I've totally gone on a nature vibe. I took the advice of last week's um, podcast, mostly from Luna, and literally ticked off a lot of the on the list of what are great about Wicklow. So I've literally. My mom's car has been racking up the kilometers. Like, Andrea, you've literally doubled the kilometers since you've moved in with me. I'm like, sorry, but I'm just an adventurer, mom. Um, but as part of that, I was in Devil's Glen. I did the hike to the waterfall. I was in Victor's Way, which is just an absolutely magical place. I literally have been hanging out at Sally's Gap, Sally Gap nearly most days trying to catch a sunset. Um, because apparently it's so uh, epic when it falls on all the planes and all the blanket bogs. So I've been hanging out there a lot, Wicklow Way, 
um, wherever there used to be a glacier, basically, I'm there. <laughs> and I am spending a lot of time uh, researching Lugla and how I will be able to potentially own it. Um, <laughs> I know uh, uh, an Italian Kent, a reclusive Italian Kent, uh, bought it for twenty-three million. I thought you were going to be like, I know an Italian Kent, and I'm going to get no, him to buy it for me. A reclusive Italian Kent bought it for twenty-three million. So I've always been into Italian man. Now he has a wife, apparently, from what the papers say. But anyway, I've been doing a lot of research into Lugla. It's the most beautiful location over Loch Tay and has all this amazing ground. And it's like at the bottom of where a glacier used to be. It's just phenomenal. Um, so that's basically taking up my time. Um, I loved also watching Housier giving money to a busker on Grafton Street singing his song. I love that. Like, I don't know why it's so nice, but it was just a lovely moment. Your mom goes, uh, Thanks, uh, that was Hosier. It was like, oh, yay! Oh, I loved it. Um, also, things I love Emma got a new 600,000 uh, euro fund to acquire work from artists living and working in Ireland, supported by the Department of a Thousand Departments um, of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gwaltock, Sport, and Media. Um, but that I just love that, that our modern art gallery is collecting art from people living and breathing and making art. Um, in Ireland and that it's acting as a support for artists to so that they can keep making art during this time. So I I love that. Uh, I also love the potential for a Lido where that stupid white water rafting thing was planned to go. Um, Rebecca Moynihan did bring municipal swimming around, but I've been watching a lot of my friends in London going to the heated Lidos and it just is just so lovely to be able to just go swimming outdoors in the heated water in the middle of winter like why can't we do that and it's not, they're not big money makers they're managed by the council and um, they cover their costs from what I can tell from the research I did it just like is just makes sense and that stupid white water rafting can get in the sea and then finally oh, I'm obsessed with Lyra um, and watching her on the late late was fab I just adore her fashion and her songs and she's fab. But also Erica Cody was number one in the iTunes charts this week with her new release. And I just feel like there's, we had a lot of conversations about how women weren't getting radio play. And then Women in Harmony came about um, with Caroline Downey. And you're just kind of seeing the fruits of that coming through. And it just shows you how collective action can actually have an impact and change how things are perceived and how things are resulting. So um, I just thought that was really good. On that note, I would like to add to my fave bits of Alvaretti's new album, Personal History. It is gorgeous. Go listen to it or buy and it. Pillow Queen's new album. Yeah, Pillow There's Queen's loads, album is amazing. Yeah. Loads of, uh, loads of women making amazing music. Um, I would love a really pop-up. Um, whoever wants to make a pop-up for Andrea... Um, we will give you an It's Bananas tote. <laughs> um, no, um, we will, though. Um, OK, so this podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan at Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all our design. You can find links to all our socials on our website, unitedirelandpodcast.com. And if you've enjoyed listening, let us know. Or better yet, give us a review 
Or on the reviews, can I just uh, interrupt that we have been getting a few reviews the last few days. So thank you to people who are doing that. It really um, is appreciated. But what I really think is really funny is now I spoke about how we were like, we don't care about iTunes charts and it's never our buzz or whatever. But I've been watching them for the crack because we've been getting reviews and they go up when you get a review, which is like bananas, but like whatever. But our podcast, Don't Stop Repealing, that we released two years ago is ahead of it in the charts. We haven't released any new content from it since then. I just think it just shows what a sham these charts are. Yeah, well, the iTunes charts aren't related to loads of things. They just, I don't know how they kind of cobble them together, but they're bizarre beast. So funny. Um, if uh, you've any suggestions, you, go, go give on. us a little review. Yeah, give review. us a little review. And if you've any suggestions for subjects you'd like us to look at for an episode, drop us a mail or a DM. We're delighted the counties are back. There are more ki- counties en route. And what's our, chick- ch- our chicken tuna roll? Our tuna chicken roll this week, Andrea? Oh my God, it's an absolute bop. I keep continuing pretending I'm in clubs all the time when I, I go into trap hop. I'm like, everyone close your eyes for a minute. And then we just put on the music really loud and pretend we're in a club. This is Purple Disco Machine in my arms. I've been Una Mullally. I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland. And that was... Tipperary! Tipperary!